Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Spartan Investment Group, Scott Lewis. Scott and Ryan Gibson met as neighbors, and the two quickly realized that they had similar interests and skill sets shared between Scott's time in the military and Ryan's experiences in aviation. The two started Spartan Investment Group and focused on residential developments before expanding quickly enough to justify acquiring multi-million dollar commercial properties. Today, Spartan ranks at the top of list for fast-growing real estate companies, connecting potential investors to their storage solution properties, ranking eighth in real estate industry on Inc. 5000 in 2020. Spartan Investment Group is growing like crazy, so Scott, my friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Drew. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Well, I'm curious. How did we how did we get into this whole line of work? That's really kind of twofold. Um, I'll kind of talk about my why. And then you mentioned Ryan, my partner, kind of talk about the, that Genesis story because it's kind of funny. Sure. So, you know, my why is, you know, I just I, I wanted to start a company where, uh, quite frankly, it didn't suck. And I say that because you know, the, the places I had worked before uh, Spartan, I was about 34 when we started the company, just weren't like fr- from, a, from, a, from a culture perspective and a purpose perspective, just really weren't it. Um, one of them was the army uh, and it, like active duty army really wasn't for me. Um, I very much enjoyed my four years there, but I knew I wasn't going to make it a career. It was a little too much. Um, and then the, the federal government after that, I really did not enjoy my time there just because kind of the culture of, of some of the places I was at. And then before all that, I was in the private sector and, and I enjoyed my time there. However, there was some pretty bad stuff that happened at the, the top of the organization that, that lacked values. So that's really where it just, it, my, my experience kind of coming up, um, there was something, there was always something missing. Um, the army was probably the closest place that had a really good culture, but it's, it's all or nothing. You, you can't have one foot in the door in any of the uh, military services. It's kind of an all or nothing. Sure. So that's when I got off of active duty, joined the federal government and there, I really didn't enjoy that. So that's really kind of my why. And then, you know, for real estate, I had always really enjoyed uh, the built environment. So the two just kind of went hand in hand. I, I was a framer in high school and college and just really enjoyed the, the, the real estate. And I had owned a couple of rental properties and uh, it was just really kind of a natural fit to marry the two together. I renovated my house in DC and that, that kind of brings us into how I met my founder. A lot of people ask this story, man, how did you meet somebody that you, you, know, you trust so much? I'm like, well, you move next to them. So it's not, not a very good story for most people to replicate, <laughs> but it is the truth. So my wife and I, we were in uh, Southeast DC looking at houses and we're, we're looking at a house and, and Ryan comes out and lo and behold, he's pretending to check his mail because he saw neighbors that he's like, we had this like beat up Audi TT at the time. And it, it's, it was not a nice car. We paid like 6,000 bucks for it. It was like, you know, a decade old when we bought it. But uh, he saw the car, he saw us, and he's like, hmm, I'm going to meet these guys. So he pretends to check his mail, and we're coming out, and he's standing there checking his mail, and he's like, how you doing? And we start talking, and, and 
I probably, when was that? 10 years ago. And here we are. Wow. Okay. So how far into knowing him, did you guys start to kick around the idea uh, for this company? Almost immediately, as far as like, like talking about it, we, we had, before we actually pulled the trigger, we probably knew each other for maybe two to three years before we actually like got deep into it, where we're signing on loans together and writing big checks together, but about two or three years. Okay. And was there kind of a catalyst or an inciting incident that, that, that caused you guys to say, let's actually do this. Let's make this a reality. Yeah, there was. So Ryan and I, um, he lived at 1350 L street. I lived at 1354 L street at 1352 L street, right in between us was this very dilapidated row home. So we were in Capitol Hill in DC. So there's just house after house after house. And this place was just a shack. And I came home one day and my wife was like, Hey, you need to fix that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do about it? This was, this was before we knew about, you know, sending mailers and all this other stuff. That's pretty standard in the real estate. We didn't know any of this. So we basically, you know, lo- we got that house under control by just doing what made common sense, find the owner and call her. And that's kind of what did it. We, we renovated that entire house, sold it, made a pretty large return on that. That gave us the seed money. And we're like, Hey, we're, we're okay at this. Let's keep going. Um, and then we did one after another, after another. And then, um, in 2016, we decided that residential really wasn't for us. So that's when we pivoted to commercial specifically storage. Did it start off as a, as a full-time venture for you guys right out of the gate after that first investment, or was it still somewhat moonlighting for a period of time? It was moonlighting. Um, luckily, uh, both Ryan and I had pretty flexible uh, day jobs. So Ryan was a commercial airline pilot. So he's either in the air or he's not. There's not really a lot of like overlap there. So his schedule was erratic, but confined. Um, mine with the federal government, I wasn't exactly actively employed um, all the time there. So I had some additional time to work on Spartan um, in addition to uh, my duties at the government. You know, I'm curious what your, your take is on this. I've, I've seen there seems to be uh, two really kind of different opinions on, you know, how to start a business and, and whether you moonlight or not. And on one side, there's people saying that's the smartest thing to do, man. Like, don't put don't put unnecessary risk on you. Do it in your spare time. Work really hard until it's ready and then you can make a nice easy transition into it you have other people say man that's the quickest way to fail is by not giving your all to it and so you need to burn the boats and you need to get in as fast as possible to get this thing off the ground uh i'm curious just in in your perspective what that was like and how you think about moonlighting to start a to start a business so i don't i i don't have the experience of the ladder there i didn't burn the boats and here's why it was on purpose um financially we were okay Um, you know, we had enough money to qualify for loans and things like that. So, but we have a saying, we actually have lots of sayings inside of Spartan hungry bellies make bad decisions. So if you pull the ripcord, that's fine. But one of the number one reasons that businesses fail is because they're undercapitalized and they're undercapitalized because the founders don't understand cash flow. And they don't understand that your business will eat your lunch as far as cash flow goes. And the minute that the mortgage gets into question, the family situation starts to fall apart. 
And once that happens, your support network disappears. So for us, we never wanted to be forced into an investment. Mm. We wanted to make sure that we could take our time, do only the best investments, and then grow at a pace that was healthy. We didn't want to take outside capital, um, and we still haven't to this day for Spartan itself. We do syndicate um, private equity to buy our real estate deals, but that's actually not for Spartan itself. Right. That was just really, we, we never wanted to be forced to make a bad decision because like, holy crap, the mortgage is due and I, I, it's 2,500 bucks and I've got 2,300 in the account. Yeah. We really wanted to be in that situation. We were also lucky that we did have flexible jobs to where we could spend a significant amount of time and we were younger, there were no children in the picture. So we didn't have that constraint. Um, so we, we, we did have some additional flexibility that enabled us to keep those day jobs and the decent salaries that came with them. It also for us, we had to qualify for a lot of loans. So that really required us to have that W-2 or else no bank would give us the money. Oh, that's right. Especially with you, you, you yourself needing to be able to take out the loan to, to acquire the property and renovate it. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Okay. So when did you, when did you know this is at a place now where it's, it's time for us to make this our full-time thing? So I had four years of my golden number, the, the number that you need to live in the bank in cash. It didn't matter. I mean, I could not take a paycheck for four years and still pay for everything I wanted to because of a, of a liquidity event. We sold one of our properties and a bunch of cash came out of that. So I had enough money in the bank that I didn't care. It didn't matter. I, I had four years of runway. And quite frankly, if you can't get your business off the ground in four years, then you're probably not going to. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's smart. Uh, now, I should know this, but off the top of my head, I can't, I can't think of it. Did, what years were, were, were these early years taking place? Is this before the financial or before the housing collapse, during, after? Where were we at here? After. Okay. So we started the business in 2013. Okay. Uh, looking back, was that a pretty uh, generous or like a good time to start start this group? I think so. Um, there, was, there was still some decent inventory available. We started with flipping houses. And you know, back in 2013, when we got our first property, there, there wasn't, 27 different fix and flip shows on 19 different channels right people driving around on a pt cruiser with like we buy your home like magneted to the side like, like you do today and capital was still relatively restrictive so to, you know to raise 100 grand as a newbie in 2013 for a flip was still was still hard like some of the hard monies hard money lenders really hadn't come back out the hard money loans were four points and 14%. So they were, they were pretty aggressive loans. So at that time, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad time to start by any means. Um, much easier now, much easier than today on the house flipping front uh, because there's just so much more competition out there. And a lot of the inventory is getting snatched up by the really big dogs that are going after the rent to, you know, to build the rent and, and that mm -hmm. particular thing versus flipping them. Okay. What would you characterize as the most challenging aspects of those initial years of getting this company up off the ground? Capital, for, for sure. And it's, and it's going to be kind of uniform across a lot of businesses. You know, for the real estate side of the house, it's pretty capital intensive. There's big numbers um, associated with it, and you've got to qualify for loans. 
so right out of the gate, you know, I mean, we were, and, and we were in Washington, DC. It wasn't like we were flipping houses in a, in a small Midwestern town where you could buy a house sure. for the same price as you could buy a Jeep Wrangler. I actually used that as an example because I bought a house in Michigan for less than I paid for my Jeep Wrangler out here. In <laughs> and, uh, and it was a nice house that my family lives in. So, um, you know, in DC, the, the minimum barrier to entry there is several hundred thousand bucks. Even in 2013, it was still two or three hundred thousand dollars. So to get that money, um, it, it, we had some of our own capital. We took some um, 401k loans and, and borrowed and begged and, you know, from from relatives and friends. But that's still we still needed to qualify for the loans. Gotcha. So were you setting up and maybe still today, were you setting up this kind of deal by deal thing where, if you got X amount from somebody that went into that deal, then they would get a certain percentage of the profit when all is said and done of that specific deal. Is that kind of how it worked? Yes. And we're, we're still doing that today. We have not gone to the fund model. Um, we still do project by project, but we are looking at doing the fund model just because it's, there's, there's some advantages to it. Can you, can you describe what the difference is in those two models when we say the fund model versus kind of the deal by deal? version yes. so the, the deal by deal you know as an investor if you're going to come in and be a passive investor the you, you know exactly what you're getting you know it's it's this house at this address or this storage facility at this address in this city a fund is there, there's a couple different kinds there's a blind pool where the, the sponsor can just invest in whatever they want um i'm i'm personally not a huge fan of those but then there's a specified pool where Sometimes it's it's this particular asset or these assets, or it's, hey, self-storage, that's what we're buying. Here are the states that we're looking at. That's where we're looking at. So that you, you basically know what you're getting because you can look at our track record and you can understand that, hey, we, you know, we buy value-add storages in these places and that's what we're going to continue to do. So while it's not facility by facility, you generally know what you're getting. Gotcha. So when you guys went from residential, what did you go into? You, you mentioned there's uh, storage facilities was that part of it initially or is that just something more recent like what did you guys pivot into we pivoted to self-storage okay and that was a strategic decision because the residential space we just we weren't huge fans of it there there's great things going on in the residential space it just wasn't for us um one of the main things is we believe in eviction so if you don't pay you know we'll hold up our end of the bargain um but you're going to hold up yours and unfortunately, there's a lot of government intervention in all the housing space, and we're not a huge fan of that. So we really wanted to get away from anything that was a target of any government programs. So that's one of the what's one of the key reasons we wanted to move into self-storage. Tell me about that. I'm not, I'm not sure how that makes sense. I just don't know that world. I don't know the yeah. self-storage world. And so, so tell me what the opportunity is there that you guys saw. It's simple. I mean, it's a box where people put their stuff in. Um, it's pretty easy to manage, um, not, as, not as easy to manage as some of the other asset classes, but it's easy to evict. You know, every state has their own laws on eviction. And I mean, as the, as the multifamily operators found out during COVID, something bad happens, the, the government's going to step in to protect folks, which might be the right answer. Um, for us, it was not. So we wanted to get into an industry that was not really subject to government regulation and, and I'll, I'll be honest, the government really doesn't care about that piece of construction paper that your kid glued some macaroni to 15 years ago that you had <laughs> stuffed in a storage unit for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So then what's the business model? You go and find, you go find a storage facility and, and renovate it or get better at getting customers in there. Like, what does that, what does that look like? You just said it. Sometimes there's expansion where we'll add more if there's an opportunity there, but 
you nailed it. You know, we go and find one. A lot of it, a lot of them are owned by mom and pops. So they don't have the latest technology or the latest kind of services that are that are kind of growing with the industry. So we go in there and just turn around operations. A lot of times we buy expansion plays. Uh, we also develop from the ground up, but that's basically the play. Is that the the sole focus of your investment group or are there other types of things you're investing in? 100% that. We, we do have some a couple of RV parks that we invested in because they were good opportunities that will, when, when the timing is right, we'll sell. But right now, 100% storage. Cool, cool. Um, now, I want to go back to something you said earlier when you said, I wanted to start a company that doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. So how has that influenced how you built this company? One of the key things, you know, Dalio's Principles is a, is a pretty good book for, for anybody that wants to replicate some pretty good stuff of what, you know, he's done up at Bridgewater. And, you know, one of the kind of the key things that, that always just drove me bananas were corporate policies. Um, and Netflix also talks about uh, that and no rules rules. Um, and, and that's one of their books that they, they really put out. And inside of Spartan, we have no policies. We have some principles and we go out and we get the absolute best talent. And honestly, if you can't handle the principles, you're not going to be a Spartan. So that's one of the key things that you know, we did inside the company to just make this a little bit more flexible pay, place and trust people. Dan Pink in his book, Drive, talks about the three things that you need to have a really engaged workforce, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. If you have yes. those three things, then generally people can build their lives professionally and, per- and personally as well. And that's in our vision statement is to allow folks to grow professionally and personally. While the, while the military was a little too much for me on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, I definitely agreed with their whole self concept of, of all the services do this, where they take care of the family as much as they take care of the soldier because they are sailor, airman, marine, because they know that if the home life is jacked up, the soldier is going to be useless. Yeah. For us, we know at Spartan that if your home line's a mess, the Spartan's going to be useless when he or she comes to work. So we really want to try to make sure that we have the infrastructure here that people can grow personally and achieve those goals, whatever, whatever that might be. Man, there's much I want to go back to, but the, I'll just start in, in order of my thoughts as I'm writing them down. Um, I was reading, have you read the book uh, by Kotler called Stealing Fire? I've not read that one. He had The Rise of Superman, and then he's got Stealing Fire, his latest one. It's, I mean, it's a few years old. Um, but he was talking about he was talking about the the amount of investment that the Navy spends on their Navy SEALs, right? And he was talking about one of the the primary things they're trying to train them is how to flip the switch. Yep. That when they get to a moment of battle or they're on a mission, they need to be able to flip a switch and immediately lower their self preservation and their self orientation and actually kind of merge with the group. That they are like you know, in the moment fully, they're not at home. They're not thinking about things outside the moment. They're right here. And I've been thinking about, you know, in our work with people and culture around the same ideas, like what you're talking about, how do we get them to show up and flip a switch where they're all lights are on mentally, emotionally, they're right here. They're giving their best. They're enjoying it too. And one of my first thoughts is the quickest thing that takes you out of that is self-preservation, right? When something's not okay. And Mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about. Like if things at home are not okay, and that obviously matters a ton to you. It's gonna be really hard to fight that, like that feeling of showing up and working on this deal 
Yeah. If everything in me is screaming things at home are not okay, or we can't pay our mortgage, or my kid is sick, or something like that, uh, is that kind of what you mean? Is is it a similar type of idea? Yeah, I'll give you an example. We had one of our so we the, all, all of our property teams work directly for us. So we have um, twenty eight facilities across uh, I think eleven states right now, and all of those folks work directly for us. And most of our facility teams are hourly workers. They get paid by the hour. We had one that just started and his son died in a car wreck uh, the day after he started. Wow. And his son was probably, his son was a Marine. Um, so he was a vet. And his son was probably maybe 24, 25. And we gave him a week off paid. Right. Just, hey, man, get home, take care of the funeral, get back here next week. Like, or if you need more time, let us know. That baffled him because he was here mm. a week. He thought for sure. He, he's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not going to be able to work for you. And our, our, our corporate staff were like, well, why? You just started. And then he told them, like, why don't you think you're going to work here? He's like, well, I, I, I can't come to work. I, I've got to do the funeral. Am I not fired? We're like, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. <laughs> like your son, like, hey, did you see the CEO as a vet? What do you think he's going to do if we fire you? Yeah. <laughs> because your son who was a Marine died in a car wreck. So we absolutely gave him the time and we paid him for it. Like not only did we like not make him come to work but we also paid him for it because it's just like, man, this guy's going through something that no parent should ever have to go to go through and we're gonna take care of him. Uh, I love that. And it's sad, it's sad to me that he, that he didn't expect yep. that, right? Because that means he's had some experience yep. in some other business where that way of thinking or that level of care is not present. That makes me sad, right? That yeah. whatever experiences he's had, he just assumed you guys would fire him for taking time off to grieve his son and bury his son. It's like, man, what have you been through, right? It, that, that was my first thought, but you know, it was kind of a, it was a double-edged sword for us or for me personally. It's like, you know, that, that's a terrible tragedy, but it was really, really just um, positive that my team just, that they came to us and just said, hey, we want to pay the guy for a week to let him take care of that. Like, and I'm just like, yes, the culture is right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about, right? We're yep. talking about the culture. And, and I want to go back when you talked about having no policies, but do have principles. Can you help me understand the difference in your, in your mind, what the difference in a policy and a principle is? Um, just, yeah. Let's just start there. Yeah. Uh, travel is the easy one, right? So a lot of companies have travel policies. You can't spend more than $150 a night on a hotel. Ours is don't be stupid. Like get your mission done. Don't be extravagant, but don't be low cost. Don't fly one of the discount airlines and go through nine different cities to save $65 on the right. Ticket, right? Yeah. And then get caught and end up costing us hundreds and hundreds of dollars when like, you know, duct tape airlines get you stranded in some random city that I then have to pay for food in a hotel. Take the direct flight, get to where you're going, accomplish your mission, be safe, get home. And I'll give a great example. A lot of companies have like, you know, don't spend more than $150 a night on a room. Okay. So we, we have one of our, our senior leaders who's in Seattle and she travels to Dallas but what she does is she works an entire day in the office and she takes the like 7 p.m. flight out of Seattle. That gets her into Dallas at midnight. 
But what she does, she stays at the Hilton at the DFW airport so she can land, walk over, go to bed, get up, you know, eight, seven, eight hours later, whatever, refreshed, grab the rental car from the report from the airport and push on. Mm. But that's that hotel's like 400 bucks a night. So that $150 a night policy, you wouldn't be able to do that. Some a bean counter would be like, nope, denied. So what she would do to be safe is she'd fly during the day. So, and then she'd get there at a decent hour, she'd get her rental car, and then she'd go to some Hampton Inn to spend 150 bucks in Dallas. But what is the company lost? The company has lost half a day of an executive's time. Yeah. Is that worth 250 bucks? No, it's not. It's stepping over a dollar to pick up a nickel. Oh, well said. I like that. All right, so policies in your mind are they are uh, almost like two specific, not context-related um, rules. They're just rules, right? Like regulations and rules. Principles are more the thinking and the, the reason yep. behind decisions that provide maybe more laterability and you know, inten- intentionality. Is that kind of what it is? It's exactly what it is. You know, policies are really useful that if you have an extremely large workforce um, and, you didn't, and you can't necessarily get all of the, the A players on, on the bus, and I'm not, I'm not taking shots at anybody because I've worked in organizations with policies. It's just, you know, so, so policies are there to, to try to mitigate risk. From, from my, there's going to be a lot of people that would challenge this, but from my perspective, they actually increase risk because they don't allow folks to have that autonomy yeah. So really good people, if you have really restrictive policies, are going to say, this is dumb. I'm not doing this. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go to a place that actually trusts me as a human being and as a very high performing professional to do my job and to take care of the company because they trust me. There's a lot of organizations out there that, that understand this and they don't constrain their, their folks by policies that are, that are meant to mitigate risk that I actually don't think they do. Man. That's super good. It reminds me of a conversation I had uh, with a friend. He when he was the, I think it was his time at at um, at Yeah. Um, and you know he was the CFO, and he was. I was asking him what the most important things they did there, and it was this idea: was they moved towards really buying into culture and yep. values over rules and policies. And I said, "Can you give me an example?" And he said, "They did two things that I found interesting. So one." was they started off every, not every single meeting, but like their big team meetings with asking uh, what values someone else witnessed someone embodying that week. Mm -hmm. And so one, they got good at celebrating each other, but two, they actually got good at like raising awareness of the kinds of opportunities that people had to make decisions that reflected. So it was like, it started connecting dots. Like, oh yeah, that was, that was our value when we did that. Right. And he, he said the first several weeks, he was the only one sharing. Yep. Because no one knew, like, they weren't thinking that way. That wasn't their way of, like, observing a day and thinking. But then eventually he said we had to, like, actually limit it and be like, hey, hey, uh, that's been awesome. That's enough for today, you know. Um, But then, too, he said they made, I guess, a rule that we would never fire you based off a decision that you could justify was uh, made out of our values, right? And so I thought that was interesting. Like, how do we get tactical with it? Well, it's like, well, at the end of the day, if you can point to me why that decision, that sit, that spending $400 on a room is in line with our principles, well, then all for it. But 
if you start making decisions, because there is some check and balance, right? So the idea would be if you start making decisions that you can't justify are a part of our principles, well, then that might be a, a correctable or fireable offense. Is that, is that similar to the way that you guys think about it there? 100%. We've always said you don't get fired for being a bonehead. Um, you get fired for being negligent. And as long as you're, we, we also have a creed within Spartan that defines what it means to be a Spartan. And we're like, listen, like, look at the mission, vision, values, and creed. If you can tie your, if you can tie your action back to those things, you'll be all right. We actually yeah. do the same thing as Atlassian. In addition, we, every week we have a company sync call and we start out that everybody has to give something that they're grateful for, for that week. Cool. Uh, and, and, and we're getting, we're, we're kind of in the same boat at first, uh, especially on the values. It was just me. And now it's like, now we're like, all right, we got four. Who's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good though. I had another mentor years ago. Tell me you cultivate what you celebrate yep. and that for a while, like, don't be surprised if the right things aren't growing. Cause you're not used to, you're not used to celebrating certain things. Nope. Like we take them for granted. Like, well, we should be doing that. It's like, well, if you want to grow more of that, like you should put your attention to it. And I know this is with my kids that celebration, another way of thinking about it is just attention. Yep. Like if they get more of my attention when they're act when they're misbehaving in a weird way, it seems to like make more of it happen. Yep. Right. Reinforces. It like reinforces it because the opposite means they're not getting much attention at all when they're doing things that I would expect them to do. And so we've started experimenting the last several years trying to switch it and be like, all right, how do we handle without giving too much attention to misbehavior while really paying attention to, wow, that was like, I have two older, I have an eight-year-old, almost six-year-old and a four-year-old girl, girl, boy. And I've started to try to pick out the moments that I see my oldest being a great sister to her middle because right. they're often just at it, you know? Um, but I realized I wasn't celebrating enough those moments, like when she did something very kind for her sister or was protective of her or whatever. And I learned that through people like you and, and learning that that's how we, we encourage the right culture in a company. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh man. Okay. So when you said we at the Spartan group, we have our mission, vision, values, and creed that makes me just, th I don't usually ask this, but it feels very intentional. Why did you name this Spartan? What's the influence of either Spartan lifestyle or thinking or whatever that, that has gripped you guys uh, for this company? We, we had a third founder and him and I were roommates at Michigan State. Gotcha. Okay. So this is more, this is collegiate pride is what it is. No, not really. <laughs> uh, because I, like, I don't have any pride for, I, like, I, I enjoyed the fact I went to Michigan State, but I, the only time I, when I was there, the basketball team was fantastic. And the first time I was in the arena was graduation. Wow. So I don't, I don't, I don't really have any school spirit. It was just one of those things that was just like, just kind of made sense. And we've tried, we tried to change the name a couple of times. Cause it was just, once it was just me and Ryan, it didn't make any sense. Cause Ryan was not a Spartan. And it was just like, we tried to change it. And we're like, well, that's kind of dumb. And then we'd forget about it for a year. And then we'd <laughs> like, Hey, should we change this? Like, all right, let's do it try to change it again. We're like, ah, oh, that's dumb. And then finally we're just like, maybe we should just stop trying to change it and just run with Spartan. Yeah. And, you know, while, while that's the genesis of it, I think it very much does, you know, the, the from the, the historical Spartan, it very much does uh, kind of embody our 
our kind of our team here, our values are grit um, that they spell grit with an extra T. So it's just kind of all in lines with, with kind of what the Spartans stood for. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering. So either you already had that, that inspiration and you used it, or you realized this is an inspiration sitting here in our name that we could, that's, it sounds like that one, the latter that like, Hey, we're already named the Spartan group. Like we could take, we could take some principles out of that, that we really believe in. And it's a natural kind of uh, cohesive idea. Right. And that, that's what it, that's what it came up to. And then, and, and now we're with, now we're way too far down the path and there's really just no interest now. So <laughs> that's great. Okay. So give me the lay of the land of where the company is at today. You've got 28 facilities um, around the country you have a corporate office, it sounds like, or a corporate team supporting those facilities. What's what, what's the size of the company now in terms of team, employee, whatever? And then my follow-up question will be, uh, what's kind of the biggest challenge you guys are facing in your scale scaling right now? Yeah, so our, our current team, um, it's changing all the time because we're bringing on properties. As we, as we buy additional properties, additional property level folks come on. So we just closed on five properties on Friday. So there's probably six more team members that are coming on there. We're at approximately 50, uh, kind of ebbs and flows by, I don't know, two or three folks. Uh, by the end of September, we'll probably be at 65 to 70 by the end of September. If not 80, by the end of September, we've got some really large deals under contract and we're hiring about 10 positions at the corporate level. Wow. And the, 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 the number one thing, I mean, like everybody else is, is finding the talent. Our interview process is, is pretty lengthy. There's four different interviews. There's four personality tests. There's a practical exercise um, associated with it. And we, we've refused to truncate our, um, our interview process. It's just, it's more important to get the right people on than just to get people on the bus. Um, I'd rather have one right person who's an A player versus three that are not. So I'll take a little bit of risk into not having quite the team to get the absolute best team. And, you know, this pandemic stuff with, with everybody going remote, um, we do not believe in, in 100% remote work. Spartan, even pre from our very, very first uh, team member that came on, we've always had a 3-2 split where we allowed folks to work from wherever they wanted to on Mondays and Fridays, but you're, but we're in the office on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's been our split. Even pre pandemic, we were that way just because it just kind of made sense to us that, um, you know, three days in the office if people were working really hard, you know, in my, some of my past positions, I've watched people do absolutely nothing in eight hours um, in the office. So um, versus, you know, me accomplishing two hours of what, some of my colleagues accomplished in three days at the office. So, sure. um, so we wanted that kind of balanced um, lifestyle. So a lot of folks are interested in hundred percent remote work and we're just not. Totally. What's the most, either what's the most challenging or, or what is the, what's got your attention right now with the company, the size it is and the goals that you have right now, what, what, what are you guys kind of navigating or, or hurdles you're looking to overcome? Yeah, not really hurdles we're looking to overcome, but you know, every company goes through this. Our culture is going to slip. It's not if it's when it will slip unequivocally. And we just have to be very, very mindful to pull it back. It'll slip again when you go through a growth spurt and then you got to pull it back. 
and just to make sure that what has made Spartan great always continues to exist. And as the team grows, we're trying to be very purposeful in how we build the organization and not have layer after layer after layer. Um, we just don't want those politics to come in. And there's a couple of examples that we're, that we're going after. And as the CEO and kind of the keeper of the culture, I'm going to get further and further away from kind of the individual team member. And I a, don't want that to happen. Uh, inevitably, it will. Um, but we really want to make sure that we instill all of the right culture aspects in every one of our team members so that we are kind of a self-correcting organization. One of our other principles is radical honesty. And that's just being blunt and being professional, but being blunt. And one of our values is transparency. When you, so when you combine those two, it'd be hard pressed to find a Spartan that's gone you know, more than a couple of weeks, myself included, without having some sort of correction from some level of the organization. And I make mine very, very visible. I've had an intern correct me and I celebrated that on our, our sync call that like, I did something that was annoying the team and the intern was the one that had the guts to stand up and say it. He probably had the week to lose $13 an hour internship, but still had the guts to raise the hand and say, hey man, like you're off the reservation a little bit here. And I was like, oh, you're right. I am. Cool. Wow. Thanks for coming back on. Wow. I love that. Uh, I want to back up and when you talk about the unavoidable, which I agree, which is as we grow and expand, there's going to be moments of kind of losing our way culturally or things starting to slip what have you found helpful so far at recorrecting or kind of uh, getting back getting back to the culture as you want it yeah there's there's three things that i think have been have been relatively pivotal there's a bunch of small stuff but there's three kind of defining things two i think are are relatively standard and that's just kind of understanding the team's sentiment and we do that in two ways we do a quarterly climate survey so no no hero points there that's kind of standard we also do a weekly one question, very much touch in, which is, would you recommend Spartan to a friend? Again, not a hero touch point there. Um, but we, the one that we probably do that a lot of companies don't is we celebrate those corrections um, and we don't hide them at all. So we are incredibly transparent. So like I just said, I'm like, hey guys, just for the record, I got off the reservation and I'm back on. And the intern corrected me. That's the radical honesty that we need to correct this. And we've seen that come through and people, number one, all of our stuff is, uh, all of our climate surveys and weekly reports are attributable. You're not allowed to say something unless you're willing to like back it up with your name. Um, so folks are, folks are being really honest. We're getting some good feedback and some of it, like we, we got off the reservation with some communication stuff just because we were growing really fast and our, our, our communication systems aren't keeping pace with our team growth. And man, our team let us have it. Um, they like, we had a promotion and it didn't get communicated the right way. Um, and some team members really felt cross and they let us have it and they put wow. it in the survey and we're just like, Oh, yep. Stepped on a landmine there. And we just, we were just radically honest about it. The next, Hey guys, we screwed up, like help us get better. As we grow really fast, there's going to be communication mishaps. Don't sweep them under the rug. Don't justify it. Just tell us we suck. Let us know and we'll get better. Have you found that there is a way in that environment, right? So inviting that open transparency, oh, you know, anyone can correct me, regardless of hierarchy, that kind of thing. 
has there been any any uh, principles that say that have helped give feedback in a constructive way? So being able to do it honestly, but also maybe in a way that people can hear without, you know, shutting down because you called them a dumbass or always complaining and not bringing solutions to anything like that that you guys have found helpful to make sure it stays constructive. One of the best books, and I'll give Netflix a, a great like head nod here, and they've, they've really helped us. So if any of the senior leaders are, are listening like from Netflix, love to sit down with any of you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but they, their, their book, No Rules Rules, it talks about their 4A method for providing feedback. And the, the, the two of the A's are for providing, and that's aim to assist and aim to be actionable. And that's the thing is if you if if you bring folks actionable things and you're and you're really looking to help them get better, most people are okay with feedback. It's yep. the esoteric nonsense that just sounds like somebody's trying to tear you down. That people are really get real defensive. That like the constructive criticism, not like I, I I'm not a huge fan of that word. Like right, constructively criticize somebody. I don't believe that's the right way. You can provide feedback and give them an action to, to, to get better, but just to constructively criticize and throw the grenade in the room and run away. It's not helpful. Yeah. And I see that, I see that being an issue sometimes when people were wanting the culture you're talking about, but what they end up getting is a lot of passive aggressiveness, you know, and what they ended up getting is just complaints. And it's like, well, hold on. What we really want here is growth. You know, we want, like you said, actionable feedback we want, and we want to feel like we actually are all learning together and like, you're not just coming at me, you're coming alongside of me, even if I'm the one that needs to own up to it. Right. So that, that, that's why I was asking for those principles. And those, those are, those are awesome. I like that. And the one other of the, good. The aspects of the Netflix on the receiver side of the house, that's really good is if, if somebody is aiming to be helpful and they give you something actionable, your response is thank you. And then shut up and walk away or ask for additional information if you're not, if you don't understand what they're saying, but don't, don't sit there and try to fight with them. Uh, so good. Um, one thing I was just thinking about that made me laugh for a second is, um, anytime somebody starts a, a, a statement with, uh, don't be offended, but <laughs> yeah, I did odds are I'm going to be offended at whatever you <laughs> Whatever you say next. You can say, don't be offended, man. You look swollen in that shirt. And people are just going to be like, dude, don't be a butthead. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I agree with you. Just that. It feels like whatever you're about to say, you just, uh, you basically were too lazy to figure out a way to, to give me good feedback. And so you hope you could just tag on the phrase, don't be offended. And that that was going to cover up whatever sloppy approach you had to feedback. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Run uh, the don't, respect family. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if my kids were to come to me, don't be mad, but I got to tell you something. Yeah. Don't I'd say, what? Well, no fender on the car anymore. Yeah. I mean, my honest response would be, it depends what you're about to tell me. Yeah. Like, I, I, I invite you to tell me whatever, knowing I still love you and all that kind of stuff. But, like, you can't make me promise my, my reaction to something that you haven't told me what it is yet. Yep. <laughs> like, if you accidentally just squared off and punched mom in the face, I'm going to go back on our bargain, and I'm going to be really mad. You know, <laughs> so that's, I feel like that happens sometimes where people put these like things like, don't be offended or don't be mad. And I'm like, well, hold on. Yeah. That, 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 that doesn't, that's not like a catch all. Right. Uh, we've digressed. We've digressed. Uh, man, as you look forward, what has got you most juiced right now? Like when you get to look above the day to day and you're thinking about what you guys are building and, and where you might be going, what kind of gets your, your juices most, most flowing about the future? 
I think I, I just, I'm seeing a lot of the early work that we really focused on building systems and processes in place. And we've done things a little bit differently than some of our peers in our, in our various areas of where we're operating. And originally that some of those things caused a lot of friction. They caused a lot of folks to have to do a bunch of extra work and they caused us to maybe grow slower than we, what we wanted to. However, now that we've met with a bunch of success, having those systems in place and having really kind of developed those muscles through some pain and perseverance are enabling us to move really fast without increasing risk in our particular spaces because the processes are pretty well done. They're, they're trainable to our other team members. So where, for instance, in buying a, a you know a self-storage facility, we had an entire due diligence process that was really painful when it was just one person doing it. And now that we have this, we've done the same thing over and over and over again, and we've trained our team now with various team members going out and executing that process and it being written down, a training video built um, about it and, and having experienced people train the kind of a train the trainer environment inside of here, it's enabled us to move really fast. So mm. where we can take down 18 properties now in the same amount of time, it used to take us to take down one or two. So that the scale component, that that metaphorical flywheel that that folks talk about that's spinning faster and faster is starting to really spin really fast. Oh, that's super exciting. Yeah. You you start to hit this place that I've noticed in, in the size of company. It depends a little bit on the industry and how the company's structured, but you basically hit the challenge of going from organic to organized. Yeah. Where everything was organic at first and it worked because the numbers were small enough that communication could just be organic training could be organic but then you hit some need of organization where you're like well how would we do this at scale or yep. what's, what's our you know our process that we could plug anybody into and they would know how to do a b and c and it sounds like you guys have begun to to figure some of those things out and see the the leverage capability from it and it's helping us kind of win out there because we are moving very very fast and we've developed these processes in in place so what we've seen is on you know when we're trying to win deals or whatever we are often the most prepared. Um, we get a lot of loans inside of Spartan because a lot of our properties have loans on them, like all commercial real estate folks. And the bankers are telling us that we are the most buttoned up company they've ever seen. And because of that, we're able to go from the initial conversation to closing a loan in 26 days is our, is our record. And for a commercial lender, that's incredibly fast. We just did it. Like we didn't think we were going to be able yeah. to come like we we just accomplished a major milestone and that was 26 days on on several million dollars worth of loans like 20 wow yeah. well done yeah so you guys are setting yourself up for some some major success and and doing the right things right now and that's without skipping a single step it's pretty easy to to do that if you're cheating and you're cutting corners for us, we didn't cut corners. We're just being able to go around those corners a lot faster because of standard processes. We don't have to think. We just turn on the switch for our due diligence and risk mitigation processes that have been in place since the very beginning. In the very beginning, they were really, really hard to, to stick to because we didn't have the, the people resources that we needed. But now that we do, they're, they're not as hard to stick to and we can move through them much faster. Man, love it. All right, my friend. 
it's time for our lightning round questions, and then I'll let you get back to your busy day. Awesome. So, number one, first question. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Figure out your why. And what's the – why do you think that one came to mind? I know you guys have tons of sayings and things that you grab a hold of there, but why that one? Speaking to the founders here, when you're going to the, when you're going to the bank to drain your bank account – to pay the payroll because your sales targets are going to come or your sales or sales revenue is going to come in a week later. If you don't have your why, you're going to be real grumpy when you're pulling up to that bank. So if you know your why, it, it won't be that big of a deal because you, you'll know, you know why you're doing this day in and day out and there's a bigger picture coming in. So taking a hit like that is not as hard. Wow. I heard somebody say this the other day that resonated on that note where he said, uh, I've seen too many people give up what they want most for what they want right now. Yep. And it's that same idea of like, yeah, we lost sight of the bigger why, the bigger picture for what we wanted right now. And you look back in the future and think that was a terrible trade. Yep. <laughs> right? Uh, that's so good. All right, number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst? Man, I'm, I'm trying to think about that. I don't know. Let's come back to that one. Okay. Question number three. What causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? I think just controlling the culture and, and making sure that it doesn't slip. I think one of the reasons that a lot of our best team members are here is because of our culture and just not letting it slip. Love it. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? A billion of assets under management by the end of 2023. Let's go. And not even that far away, a few yeah. years away. We're at about $450 million now. Let's go. I yep. love that. All right. Question number five is our creative question. So take it however you will. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past but the rule is you only get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. When are you going back? And what are you telling that younger version of yourself? I think I would go back to probably my 18-year-old self as I was approaching kind of Michigan State. And I would say, pay attention more. Um, I'm a big education guy. And I think that, you know, I, I graduated okay. I graduated at like, I don't know, like a 3.1 with a chemistry degree and a marketing degree. I probably could have paid attention more um, and really kind of looked into the future and be like, hey, this stuff's going to be really relevant for you at some point someday. So pay attention more and really kind of engage those professors more. Love it. It's very similar advice I'd give to myself. Uh, I made some smart decisions in college and things I'm really proud of. And then paying attention to my education was not one of them. So I wish I wish I'd done that. Uh, all right. We'll go back to question number two. If you got any fresh thoughts, if not, we can wrap it up here. Um, but whether advice given to you personally or just advice you've heard passed around uh, that you've either grabbed a hold of in the best ca advice category or that you sometimes find yourself actively rejecting in the bad advice category. I think one of the best pieces of advice um, is 
it comes from um, the E-Myth Revisited. And that's really like, hey, you got to carve out time to work on the business and understand that when you start the business, whatever that is, if you love ba if using the, the book, if you're a baker, you start that business, you're not a baker anymore. You're a business yeah. who sells pies. That's a very, very different mindset and a very, very different look. I think that's some of the best advice I, I've seen is just like, hey, when you start this real estate business, you're, you're not really like, you're not a real estate person anymore. You are a business owner that is in real estate, which is why I focus almost my entire listening and everything on things that'll help me build and reinforce the team and not necessarily listening to podcasts on underwriting per se, because I'm not the one underwriting. I know enough about it to call kind of some BS when I see it, but I'm really focused on the team. The worst advice, the worst advice I hear in the entrepreneurial cycle is ready, fire, aim. Mm. And it's the whole kind of the, hey, like, just go out there and do it. I think that's absolutely just ridiculous advice. And it's actually from people who've never actually used a rifle to accomplish their mission. Where I have. <laughs> and ready, fire, aim. All you do is expend your ammo and then the enemy kills you. So it's a really stupid uh, <laughs> fight, right? Yeah. So yeah. while you shouldn't, it, the same is true of ready, aim, 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 never fire, right? The, right. The bad guy will shoot you in the face. Yeah. What we've always like the how I adjust that is take 90 days, learn as much as you can. Because in 90 days, if you get after it and whatever you're doing, unless it's astrophysics, like perhaps don't try to build a rocket with 90 days of experience. But with 90 days of deep study, you can get yourself enough foundation to where you won't make completely bad decisions, I think. So, uh, 90 days is just a, a, a marker that I put in the sand that take at least 90 days, learn about your thing and then go out and do it. Man, I'm glad we came back to that. That is, that is really helpful. You know, the way I, I thought of the same thing, actually in the, in the book I wrote, I did a ready aim fire chapter and it was more about the cadence, the like yeah. respect for each one of those. Like, are you actually ready? First, you got to decide that, like, is this the right time for me to focus on this? Is this a decision I'm willing to make? Then you got to take aim and then you can't get paralyzed at the aiming part. Just like you're talking about, you can't just, then you start almost like getting buck fever where the scope starts shaking and all that. It's like, no, man, you got to take your breath into that breath. You've got to release the trigger, you know? Um, but then you said the opposite that we get, we worship as well. We worship the sporadic action and the, it feels really brave, but you haven't really done any research. You haven't really made an informed decision, right? Sun Tzu has a good quote to, to end on. And it's, Tactics without strategy is just the noise before the defeat. Mm, that is a good one to end on. I'm going to write that down. Uh, Scott, thank you, man. This has been uh, a really, really fascinating conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. I know our, I know our founders have, have found this tremendously valuable as well. So thank you for making time to be here today and taking time out of your busy schedule for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate being here. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.